theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. Uh, it's called the podcast. What tennis shoes? What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,810. I forgot to look it up again. I'm going to say 10 Shit. movies on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> my name is Sean and I am here with my two co-hosts, Bob and Rob. And Bob, how are you doing today? Let's find out the answer to that question, shall we? Well, what? How are you going to find out the answer? Depending on whether or not the contents of this box is the 10th copy of Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers in my house... <laughs> that will dictate how I'm doing today. I just send them weekly now. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. No, this is perfect. Listeners, we have now officially transitioned. This is now another unboxing video. You cannot see it. Sean has got me a Hocus Pocus Funko Pop Winfred Sanderson because we had oh so much fun watching Hocus nice. Pocus. So this is going to live in my recording studio, a.k.a. the closet in my guest room. All right. Nice. Glad to hear. Rob, do you have anything to unbox? I don't think so. Um, I, I have a wall charger that I bought, uh, but it's already been taken out of the box. So You ruined it. I have uh, a box of... Static matic refills uh, that I got at the dollar <laughs> store. Um, so these are bargain Swiffer static electricity cleaning pads. Yeah, I'm gonna give that a seven out of ten. We'll just wait for that dollar store check to clear, and we're good. No, no, that's not, that's not sponsorship. Well, then it's a biased review. <laughs> Come on, listen. I take my unboxing reviews seriously. Okay, <laughs> I don't take money from people that I'm legitimately reviewing. That is a legitimate seven out of ten review for this static matic. No name bargain brand version of Swiffer refills. All right. What else are we doing? I think we're out of boxes. So I guess we got to get to the actual content of our show. Thus ends the unboxing segment. On to our next segment. Did anybody write a review this week? Let's take a look. Let's take a peek. Did anybody write a review this week? I don't know if you guys can hear me. There's something super duper up with my Wi-Fi all of a sudden. One sec. Did he did he just read a review? What was that? Uh, I don't know. I heard garbled. I'm going to assume that was five stars, listener. So you heard it here first. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. My apologies, guys. Uh, my Wi-Fi just really crapped out on me. Uh, so uh, I had to hide income video, but it was delayed. My apologies. We're going to put that on the poster. That's the tagline. <laughs> five stars. <laughs> Um, uh, no, I, uh, I don't think there's any new reviews. Nobody wrote a review this week. No new reviews this week, other than... Yeah, alright, well, listener, if you want to write in and give us some nonsense, like... As long as it has five stars... <laughs> Um, feel free to email us at the podcast war tennis shoes at gmail.com or you can go on your Apple podcast app or you can go on our Facebook page and in all those places you can write out a review and we would love to read it on the next episode of the podcast war tennis shoes. Robbie, you were pointing at something. What did I forget? 
Yes, um, there are a few new things that got added to Disney+. Plus. Um, oh, okay. Miley Cyrus's Endless Summer Vacation got added. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's one. All right. Uh, the Backyard Sessions, so look for that on a future episode. That might be my first pick from when I get back from my band. Go or... die, all right? Go die, Rob. <laughs> I'll get it out there right now that, like I say, I can tolerate die. most people. Miley Cyrus is not one of them. I did not like that Taylor Swift documentary, but I will rewatch that right? before I watch the Miley Cyrus <laughs> concert film. Okay, I, I, will, I will watch concert footage of her father before I watch that film. Ouch! That is that is low. Okay, uh, Rob. What else did they add? Uh, something called Chang Ken Dunk. All right. So that's another one. So it's actually 1,811. All right. My mistake, listener. I apologize. Pretty good guess. Anything else, Rob? Something called Killer Under the Bed. And then there's one final one that got a- added. The Nightingale of Bursa. What is that? Holy shit. I should have looked this up. I don't even know any of these. What is the Nightingale of Bursa? I, I don't know. Is this in English, or is this uh, like a Telugu uh, film? I don't think this is an English language film. All right, cool. So they added four then. Yeah. I was way off. Yeah. 1,813 listeners, I apologize for the error. You will all be receiving a refund for this episode. <laughs> you will all be receiving a pop, uh, Funko Pop <laughs> head in the mail. Possibly some dollar store swiffers. <laughs> all right. Well, then I guess we have to talk about our film of the week. Bobby, what are we watching this week? This week, I subjected the three of us to watch 1993's <laughs> Fox production of Chris Columbus's Mrs. Doubtfire, starring none other than Robin Williams. Why did you do that? I remembered really liking it. As a small child, because we were all children in the 90s, we all saw Fern Gully, we all saw Aladdin, and we all loved Robin Williams. I rewatched it at some point in my mid-20s, it was on TV, and was like, oh, hey, I didn't get some of these jokes when I was younger, this movie's kind of funny. And then I watched it again this week and was like, oh, I get all of these jokes now. I don't know how funny this movie is. I was, when you suggested it, Bobby, I was super excited, because I had only seen this movie, like, once in full... I think, when I was a kid, and then, like, yeah, you said on TV, you'd catch snippets here and there. And so I was like, oh, man, I remember liking that film. And then I put it on, and I was like, oh, wait, I remember what the premise of this film is. (laughs) See, I I remembered the premise, and we're going to get to this later. It is the subtext and underlying message of this movie I didn't quite pick up on until I was in my mid-30s, and... Boy, do I have some things to say about it. I know that I also saw this as a kid. I don't really remember it, though. Um, I only had vague recollections of it. So this, in a lot of ways, this felt like a new watch to me. Yeah. Unfortunately. Because <laughs> maybe I could have warned us. Future Sean now knows. Yeah. If only I could go back in time and get us to watch something different. You have memories of watching it as a kid. You know, you probably watched it. Everyone did. This movie made like 200 million dollars in 1993 or whatever. That's insanity. Worldwide, this movie made 441 million dollars. Wow. That's insanity! On a budget of 25 million dollars. This was the second highest grossing film of the year next to Jurassic Park. Holy fuck. I thought you were going to say Ben-Hur. <laughs> well, the quality differential reminds me of the difference between Ben-Hur and the Shaggy Dog, I have to say. Yeah. Um, this is the Shaggy Dog of 1993. <laughs> it's based on a book by okay. a woman named Anne Fine called Madame Doubtfire because she's British. That book was released in North America under the title Alias Madame Doubtfire, I assume because maybe there's a different in 
interpretation of what madam could mean and they want this to seem like oh, a yeah. kid's book and they don't want parents to say like that doesn't sound like that's appropriate and the book has a very similar plot to the movie an out-of-work actor dresses up like a woman to pretend to be a nanny so that he can spend time with his children after the mother refuses to let him spend much time with the children for good reason because he is an abusive maniac <laughs> who should not be allowed anywhere near children. So the movie uh, was directed by Chris Columbus, as Bob mentioned. This was his follow-up to Home Alone 2. Dude had a massive run of success. Started out with Adventures in Babysitting, which we watched and I mostly enjoyed. He then did Home Alone 1, yep. huge success. Home Alone 2, even bigger success. Just the same movie again. And then Mrs. Doubtfire. Other than the Harry Potter films, he never had anything else hit ever again. <laughs> that's, that's not true. You, you you guys loved Rent when it came out. <laughs> I still love Rent. I still have a massive love-hate relationship with that movie. It's absolutely insane. Like, it's terrible, but I, I like, hate watch it. But uh, that did not do I, well. Uh, I subjected people to Rent after you and I went and saw it, John. I made people watch it. I took you to see it. I saw Rent, and then I was like, Rob, you have to come fucking yeah. see this thing. This is, this, is, this is an incredible experience. And so we went to Rent. <laughs> and we went to like the discount theater because this was like months into its run. And there was like three other people in the theater and they were sitting behind us. And you and I, Rob, spent the entire runtime laughing our asses off. Like just uproarious oh God, laughter. So like we were fucking Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, totally <laughs> obstructing the theater. And the people behind us started throwing pennies at us. They were so angry that we were laughing through Rent. Anyway, I do enjoy that movie. Because it's so bad. You, you you also bought the soundtrack to Rent and drove around oh, listening yeah. to it. Because it's amazing. It's ridiculous. I, I would drive around listening to it. All the time. I did too. What was I talking about? <laughs> Not Rent. Oh, Chris Columbus. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Columbus never having success again. Well, it's just strange. <laughs> like, he really, really just has had a string of duds. He had such a run there for a while yeah. that he's never going in director jail. You know what I watched after Mrs. Doubtfire? Rent? <laughs> no, not Rent. But also a Chris Columbus film on Disney+. Plus. Home Alone 2? Lost in New York? Nope. Bicentennial Man? No. Uh, Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson. <laughs> the Olympics. I haven't seen that. You should have watched that. We, should, we could do that for the podcast. What do you do? I watched like half of it. I'd seen it before. Anyway, that just proves my point. Percy Jackson. Not exactly a success. <laughs> right? The original draft of the script was written by a man named Randy Meyer Singer. He went on to write The Tooth Fairy, the Dwayne Johnson Disney family film, and Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip, which is either the third, fourth, or fifth Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. I, I lost track of how many of those movies there are. That might be four. I think Chipwrecked is three. Why do you know this? <laughs> <laughs> He's probably seen them, Bobby. Like, come on. I haven't seen any of the Alvin of the Chipmunks. But you followed their trajectory quite closely, it seems. Uh, the reason why is because uh, it's the, uh, the Alvin of the Chipmunks, Avatar, and uh, Sherlock Holmes all opened insane in 2009. They were It's the highest grossing weekend ever or something. Anyway, sorry, listeners, <laughs> the script was rewritten by Leslie Dixon, who has a large filmography, including Freaky Friday 2003. It has music by Howard Shore. I saw that, too. I don't really have anything else to say about it. It's a pretty generic soundtrack. This is the last time I'm probably going to mention it. But hey, it's Howard Shore. I should do the cast. Mm -hmm. It stars Robin Williams as Daniel Hillard, Sally Field as his wife, Miranda, Pierce Brosnan as Stu, the handsomest man alive. 
Harvey Firestein as Daniel's brother Frank. Uh, Lisa Jacob as his daughter Lydia, Matthew Lawrence as Chris, Mara Wilson as Natalie. Oh, Martin Mull shows up. The great Martin Mull. Yeah. Colonel Mustard himself. Gene Parmesan from Arrested Development. He's in like two scenes, but I love that guy. I, I wrote it down in caps. You were like, Martin Mull! <laughs> um, and Anne Harvey as Mrs. Selner. What about, um, the judge from Miracle on 34th Street? Robert Prosky? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's in this too. Oh, he, he got the he gets he gets the and credit, doesn't he? Good for him getting that and credit. I wrote that down because I because I was like and who, and then I was like uh, someone. Robert Prosky as John Lundy. I know neither of these names. <laughs> yeah, correct, right? <laughs> Surprised John Hughes wasn't involved in this film. It feels like a John Hughes film, right? High concept, borderline problematic. It's John Hughes. <laughs> this this goes beyond borderline. This film is problematic. I, I get it. You were like just kind of peppering that in for later, but like I'm just gonna jump the gun on that one. <laughs> Peppering that in. All right. Well, Bobby, why don't you tell us how this film starts then? So this opens with a cartoon, and it's in a voice studio, and looks like it could be a real cartoon that maybe you'd seen as a child in the pans back, and you realize the entire voice cast is Robin Williams doing every single voice live to the animation at the same time. Do you know who made that cartoon? Is it James Baxter? It's Chuck Jones. Oh, it's to Chuck Jones? They brought in Chuck Jones to make that. Wow. That's the thing, is that looked like a legitimate cartoon. He made a five-minute short... And apparently it's a, it's an extra on one of the DVDs and you can watch it. And it just ends with 60 seconds of that fucking bird smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it was made for the script to use. But like, if you just watch it, it just ends. <laughs> bird is smoking for like a full fucking minute. Cause he's like, I, I, I just let it go. I don't know how long you wanted to have it happening for. So I just, I just let it run. <laughs> so the, they That's animated 60 so seconds, which is like, that's a lot of frames of a bird fucking smoking. Which leads us to the plot of the film, where yeah. <laughs> Robin Williams is doing all the voices in the booth, and he makes a comment about the bird getting cancer, and he says, you can't talk about that, it's not in the script. And on moral high grounds, Robin Williams says, we have to acknowledge this is practically like giving children a package of cigarettes. Guys in the booth, don't you think this is a bad idea for us to teach children to smoke? And the booth is full of cigarette smoke. This is kind of a thing, and I think this is probably every Robin Williams film, but you can tell that 75% of what he's saying is not in the script. Oh, yeah. He's just he's just yeah. riffing. Yeah. It's Robin Williams, so it works, and he looks at them and says that they're all smoking, and says, oh, never mind, hung jury. So he quits on the moral high ground of... I'm not going to be involved in something that tells children they can smoke. And that is the first and last mark of anything remotely progressive that happens in this film. And it all steeply off a cliff, just like in a Chuck Jones cartoon from this point in. <laughs> because his immediate next response is they said, look, if you want to be a paycheck, don't be like Gandhi. To which he does an impression of Gandhi, which I'm not going it's to not do. It's not even really an impression of Gandhi. It's it's more like a, an impression of Peter Sellers doing an impression of a Indian man in a film in which he should not have been playing an Indian man. Ah, yes, <laughs> yeah. The Party. Do not watch that film, audience. Do not watch The Party. So this scene, A, that's not how cartoon voice acting works, right? Mm. <laughs> we have to get to this. What I know. the fuck is happening in this scene? Right? Like, right? Are they making this cartoon live? Like, what, yeah. what is happening here? Because they right? animated it before he's doing the voices. No. Like, on top of that, he's doing all the voices. So, like, all they're saving money by hiring one guy. And the sound effects? They just were like, okay, we don't have any audio. There's no Foley. There's no nothing, Robin. We need you. Do everything. We've, we've already made the cartoon. <laughs> yeah. 
So match it up perfectly. I guess there's a couple of possible explanations. One, they had a different voice actor, Chris Farley style, maybe, and they have to re-record stuff. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they had to recast and they'd already done the animation. Perhaps it's a foreign film. I mean, even though it's actually Chuck Jones, maybe this is... They're re-record. They're like dubbing dialogue, like it's an anime. It's a French film, hence the smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are the only explanations I can think of for why it would be like this. Um, I don't know why they'd have him record the entire fucking cartoon episode in one day. <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in one. <laughs> like in a it has to oh, be a we gotta go back <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> like, and then, and then when he starts ad libbing, they're like, "Oh no, you fucked it up." We have to go back to the top. Maybe that was the editing software they had in 1993. I still think they're doing it live. <laughs> Airing the cartoon live. This is going straight to broadcast. That's why they're so mad and he gets fired. Because they're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. We, for- we forgot to actually record dialogue for this cartoon. It's starting in five minutes. Which, like, on that flip side means that the children watching that cartoon at that time were then treated to the 60 seconds of the bird smoking that Chuck Jones had. <laughs> smoking to nothing. To nothing. And Robin Williams arguing with this, like, director. Director. The bleep true from the producer being like, you can't say that. Like, children can't smoke. <laughs> and then him storming out and doing the Gandhi impression. Yeah. Just kids yeah. watching so baffled as this cartoon bird smokes. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to bring up was, do you think this is how Robin Williams uh, quit Howard the Duck? It was the same thing. There was too much smoking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just Howard smoking the cigar. He was trying to do the dialogue. <laughs> That's what it would the, be. The scene after he uh, he had sex with Leah Thompson. Yeah, and then he's uh, and then he's like, I am not doing this. He's like, I need to ad lib. I need to ad lib the duck going. No, Leah Thompson. <laughs> Robin, Robin, no. Robin, we want you oh, to do all of the, the entire movie in, in one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> and the sound effects. Yeah, the movie's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> we didn't we didn't cast Howard yet. Just George going up to so him. So anyway, Robin Williams storms out, <laughs> leaves them in a lurch, quits his job, and then he goes and he picks up his kids from school. Rob, what happens next? Robin Williams somehow managed to plan a giant birthday party in the half an hour he had in between quitting his job and going to pick up his kids at school. I'm going to point out a lot of things in this movie that don't make any fucking sense, and this is one of them. Yep. Where... Everything that happens here is just so bizarre. So no fucking sense. How did he plan that? Like, he called up. How does he know? It's not like he has a cell phone with everyone's contact information. How did he just kidnapped a bunch of kids? Well, those are not Matthew Lawrence's friends. They're not the same age. They're like a bunch of six-year-olds. Like, yeah. Robin Williams yeah, is yeah, an yeah. insane he's, man. He's at the school. He just invited every kid. He was just like, you want to come over to my son's birthday party? So he picks up his kids from school. And it's his son, Matthew Lawrence's birthday. And he says, I got a surprise for you. It's your 12th birthday. You're going to have a party. And then they go home and there's a giant party with like a hundred fucking kids there. And none of those kids are 12. They're all like five or six. So like, who the fuck are these kids? And I I love his music of choice of (laughs) House of Pain is Jump Around. I also love the fact that no fucking 12-year-old boy in San Francisco wants a petting zoo. None of this makes any fucking sense. There's a mobile petting zoo that he's brought to his house. And the guy running this petting zoo apparently has just opened up the back and just let all the animals (laughs) out. (laughs) Go, be free. They're on the fucking street. He's just like... 
ponies and like six or seven goats and sheep and rabbits that are just running wild now. <laughs> He's never going to get them back in the truck. He's just like, oh, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. This is my first day. That trailer is big enough for maybe like one of his mobile pony, like one of his miniature ponies. He has like two ponies, yeah. a donkey, three goats, geese, chickens, rabbits, sheep that like I imagine he just clown cars into the back of that trailer. <laughs> Sean, Sean. You said he's never going to get back in there. This is clearly his first party because he didn't have any bookings. Like, he got a phone call 10 minutes ago from Robin Williams. And he's like, hey, do you have an availability in 10 minutes? And he's like, yes, I do. It's because then, his business is illegal. He has a mobile Yes, it's illegal. Zoo. That's the thing. And then the police show up and they're like, this is illegal. Yeah. Like, this guy has put all his money into a very bad business plan. Oh, my God. It's so fucking dumb. <laughs> There's no supervision for these kids. He has like dozens of six year olds running wild with wild animals in the street. In with, the street with wild animals. These strange kids that he's kidnapped from school. I want to stress that this movie opens trying to paint Robin Williams as a man of principle who wants what's best for the children. <laughs> And in scene two, he kidnaps a bunch of children and just lets them run wild with goats and donkeys and ponies. One kid is literally swinging from a chandelier. That kid is going to break his neck. Robin Williams yep. doesn't give a fuck. Robin Williams is in the other room. No, he's too busy dancing on the, the table. The only thing he cares about is smoking. He doesn't care what happens to those kids. I also enjoyed the party scene for one specific reason. Robin Williams is wearing a Think Skateboards hat. <laughs> Ooh, bored in the background! Yeah, and I was like, of course he's wearing a Think hat. He lives in San Francisco at the bottom of a hill. Oh, are we talking about where they live? Because they have the nicest fucking house known to man. There's a there's a, a line of dialogue later on in the movie where uh, Robin Williams says, you spend too much time with those corporate idiots or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, have you seen your house? She needs to work so you can afford this fucking mansion. He doesn't have a job. Yeah. They have three kids and an expensive house in San Francisco. Yep. What is what is this man doing? And that one well, yeah, kind of gets to it. Two later, when it's just like, I wonder if Sally Field's pissed off and had enough of this guy. Oh, I understood it immediately. He is the worst. Like, I hate this man. That's why he they had to have that stupid fucking scene at the beginning, because you watch the rest of the film and you're like, he's a psychopath. Yeah. He literally doesn't do a single good thing. He's an awful man who should be in prison. <laughs> There's one thing that he says to uh, Matthew Lawrence. It's when, after they get split up, Matthew Lawrence says, it's all my fault. And he says, it's not your fault. I just, it's just the one thing. I'm like, okay, this is the one redeem. But that's clearly not Matthew. Well, like, what is, yeah, it is your fault, <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> it was one nice thing that he did for his kid. I don't even think that's nice. It wasn't even Matthew. None of it was his idea. I know. I'm just saying. At best, I'd say that's neutral. That's the. At best, I'd okay. say that's the one okay. not awful thing he does. I'm. I would not describe it as nice. I would describe it okay. as not awful. Then with this kind of chuckle, that it's like he goes to school the next day. He's like, "So what'd you get for your birthday?" Like my parents got divorced. <laughs> <laughs> I got a petting zoo, and my parents got divorced. <laughs> Three kids are dead. <laughs> the neighbor has seen this and has called Sally Field to uh, say Robin Williams is going to kill some kids. You better rush home. So. Yeah. She gets in her car and races home, but she stops to pick up an ice cream cake. Which is a little weird, I thought, but whatever. So I got the impression that it's not that she stopped to get it. I got the impression that she probably had her assistant pick the stuff up for her while she was at work. Oh, uh, maybe. I guess they would have, like, a fridge at work. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah that, okay. that was the impression I got. What is this? Like, oh, my God, well, I better stop and pick up those presents in that cake. Like, before, like, before the neighbor phone, and it's like, you have, like, three donkeys eating a child. You have to get home right now. <laughs> 
at any rate, she comes home and the police are there and they're like, there are so many charges, lady. One of you is going to jail. And she's like, it, I, it should be Robin Williams. That will solve two of my problems. In fact, I'm divorcing yeah. him right now. So now I'm in the clear. Take him. Yeah. So then she walks into the house and immediately divorces him in front of the kids, which I get. Yeah, no, I get too, because he's an awful man. Like, even yep. outside of this stupid party thing that he's doing, throughout the rest of the movie, he's an awful, awful man. Yep. Like, that's the funniest thing about this movie, is that as the movie goes on, he becomes worse. He oh, becomes yes. It's like worse. the opposite of a character who, like, learns a lesson and becomes a better person. It's like a reverse Groundhog Day. Like, as it goes on, <laughs> you're like, oh, what a fucking monster this guy is. Run, Sally Field. Yeah. <laughs> Run as fast as you can. Just from a story standpoint, I, I don't know why they had to open with it getting divorced. It's weird. It's rushed. It's... Couldn't they have opened with him already having been divorced? The whole timeline seems so condensed, and the movie's so long. It's like over it's two, two hours. hours. I don't want to watch any it's, of this. That's the thing. I was like, oh, this is a kid's movie from the 90s, or a family movie from the 90s. I was like, this will only be like an hour and a half tops, and I was like, two hours and five minutes yeah here are my thoughts on what you just said because if they didn't put that scene in yeah sally field could not be the villain of this film and this film could not push its horrifically anti-feminist agenda right okay that that's 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 a good point that's why that scene is in the movie this is the 90s my parents were barely together in my living memory of it my wife also her parents weren't together for very long the 90s were a time when it was okay okay for people to get divorced. It wasn't like it wasn't like the 60s or the 70s. You could talk about it in the 90s and it was a thing that happened. And had the rest of this film not been so horrifically anti-feminist, there could be something to be said for the fact that, oh, they just get divorced. Like they talk about it. They address it in the movie. This is a reality these kids have to deal with. And you're like, that could be the case. Except then the rest of the movie happens. Now that we're talking about the crux of the film where he gets divorced, I just want to talk a little bit about the origins of the adaptation and Fox's original ideas. I don't know if you guys got around to this in your search through trivia. No. But I read it in enough places, and it's so funny that I'm just going to believe that it has to be true, (laughs) that when Fox originally started looking at adapting the book, um, the first person that they went to to play Mrs. Doubtfire was Tim Allen. <laughs> who was at the height of his home improvement success. And home improvement was actually just wrapping up, I think, maybe. The first part of this where you said, oh, the first person they went to was Tim Allen. I, I would go, I could see that. And then the second part of the sentence is this. And they wanted to do it as a home improvement movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> the pitch to him was that this would be home improvement the you movie. You see Bobby right now, listeners. I have never seen Bobby smile that wide any time ever. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the plot of the home improvement movie would be Tim the Tool Man Taylor gets divorced. Right, right. <laughs> Obviously. His and he wife has the three won't kids. let him see the kids, uh-huh. so he has to dress up like a woman. He builds a woman's suit with his tools. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably, instead of being helped by his brother Frank, he's helped by, by Al. Al? By yep, Al. he's helped by Al. <laughs> no, just, 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 just for a brief second, imagine Robert Williams just going, uh. Can we talk about this non-existent film rather than Mrs. Doubtfire, please? Can we just make <laughs> the home this improvement movie? movie? Yeah. The home improvement Mrs. Doubtfire. Where Tim the Tool Man Taylor dresses up. Constructs a woman's suit out of a hammer and nail hammer and nails. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't get That's Seinfeld. Why did I just do Seinfeld? It goes like 
No, but this adds up. That that's why he fucking works in TV. Yeah. And then the ending would be that he does a, a new tool time show with yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire character. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh fuck. That that is the greatest movie that never existed. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, he remade The Shaggy Dog. Fucking hell. That would have been so much better. That's how bad this movie is. That that would have been so much better. (laughs) Can you imagine, though, the producers of, like, the number one TV show at the time saying, yeah, let's take this prototypical American family and, like, and now they're going to break up the family unit and the dad is going to dress up as a woman to try and get his kids back. Can you imagine if the producer said yes to that? <laughs> Can you imagine if Tim Allen had said yes? <laughs> We'd be living in a much better world. What happens next? We're pretty much at the fight between them saying Sally Fields wants to, to split up with uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Robin Williams. And then they get divorced. The, the judge says to them, so you don't have a place to live and you don't have a job. Uh, the Your wife is going to look after the kids six days of the week and they come, come visit you. And he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, judge, good, good call. Um, wait for him to get a job and a place to live so he can have his kids over. And the judge says, it's only temporary. It's for 90 days. Robin Williams is such a little bitch that he can't wait three fucking months and has to go to this elaborate plan to <laughs> gaslight his whole family. The trauma that he instills right? on his children For and his ex-wife is monumental. The actual court proceedings at the end of this movie should be him going to jail for attempted murder. Yes. Yes. Not a custody battle. Nope. As you say, the judge is not unreasonable. No. Wait, I was going to get on this later, but I can touch on it now. When I was a bit younger and you watch it, you're just like, oh, this dad just really wants to be with his kids. And like, you, you kind of think that's what the movie's about. And you kind of think it's really sad. And then you watch it now and you're like, no, he needs to get his shit together. He's never had his shit together. That's the whole fucking point of this. And they give him the opportunity. Yes. And he flies off the rails. And this just, again, underlines this like horrifically anti-feminist agenda of like, why is Sally Field the villain? Because she just wants some fucking stability in her life. She does everything and has a career. She's the fucking breadwinner in this house. And she's a villain for being like, you know what? I just want my kids to have a stable household and a good life. And you are not helping with that. And then because of that, she's the villain of this movie. And it's like, no, 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 no. Robin Williams, you're the villain. This, you have yes. like all good stories. You are your own worst villain. She should not be married to him. No. It, none of it matters. It doesn't even matter about what kind of life she wants. She needs to get away from this monster. He is an insane man. Yeah. He endangered so many children and starts throwing a fit when gets called out on. I, yeah, exactly. He's a child. He doesn't understand anything. Like, he is a child. <laughs> but this isn't the movie Jack where he plays a child. Right? After I finished this movie, it was like, you should watch Jack. And I was like, I wish. <laughs> Keeping in mind, I've heard that movie is terrible. I but- saw Jack in theaters. That's Francis Ford Coppola, isn't it? I think so. He did, like, Dracula than that? <laughs> yeah, it was his follow-up to Dracula. <laughs> wow. Dracula kind of sucks, too. Uh, I like Dracula. Dra- I like that movie. It's weird and crazy, but it's... I like it. The parts that are good that are good, but the parts that are Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves talking are not. Even the good stuff is so weird that, like, 
the bad act it's just a combination it's like a david lynch film or something where you're just like this is I, this is just all of this is weird and i'm yeah. just enjoying every moment of the weirdness that's fair it's 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 a silly fun movie that is just uh, it's like what is a horror movie like in the 90s answer Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. He throws a temper tantrum that he can't have his kids come live with him on the street in a, yeah. presumably a cardboard box. Right? In the I, station I wagon. Yeah, in the station wagon. <laughs> in the station wagon because he's living in his car. He's living at his brother's house. I guess he wanted his kids to come also live at his brother's house. Who is also the richest person in San Francisco. Holy fuck, these are just some wealthy people. Yeah, well, his brother is a successful makeup artist in the film industry. Yeah. His brother and his brother's partner. Yeah. yeah. So here's what I want to say. Bob, you said that the anti smoking thing at the beginning was the only progressive part of this movie. I think that this is a really surprisingly positive portrayal of a gay relationship, considering it's 1993. I'll give you that. You're right. I really liked that element of the movie. And I like Harvey Firestein. I liked his character. I like him as an actor. I like seeing him in things. And I thought this was a, they never really make jokes or take cracks at it. Everyone acts like it's totally normal. They seem like they're very happy in a loving relationship. It's great. I was like, wow, this is very progressive for 1993. I don't know how it ended up in this movie, one of the most offensive things I've seen. But like... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that when I made that joke or comment. Um, Because I agree. Yeah, it is like, oh, it's just his brother. They don't like... He, he cracks some jokes later on. I'm staying with like your Uncle Jack and then Auntie, like whatever his partner's name is. I think it was uh, Uncle Frank and Aunt Jack. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. That might be a loving nickname. I don't no, know but if that, I that's even... the thing is it's like it's his it's it's his brother. It's kind of a it's kind of a joke. But like later on in the movie the movie gets kind of homophobic and like his end speech at the end, like when he's describing the diversity of families, like openly does not mention the prospect of like gay parents owning having children. Yeah. No, I know. I know. That's why Yeah. That's why it was a very strange inclusion. It feels like it's from a different movie. Mm -hmm. Like maybe no one understood like, like maybe if you talk to Chris Columbus, he was like, oh, they were supposed to be gay? Oh. <laughs> I thought they were just business partners. Yeah. They actually sing to camera? They do camera takes in this? And they do it at no other point in the film? Like, they just, they just completely change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was like, this, this isn't a musical, is it? I'm like, okay, no, just for this one scene with the, like, gay couple. Okay, the one scene with them is a musical. Holy fuck, it's not a musical, but there is a musical. I found out that there is currently playing a Mrs. Doubtfire musical in various cities oh my God. around the globe. It looks like one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It's it's like, how could you make this movie worse? Oh, you could. Oh, you could. <laughs> when you say it like that, I almost imagine it's like Danny DeVito in the sewers of <laughs> Batman Returns. Oh, but you could. <laughs> the Penguin, instead of running for mayor, made Mrs. Doubtfire the musical. <laughs> it's Danny DeVito as the Penguin playing Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what it is. He's still, like, four feet tall, and he's got, like, the ears and the nose. Yes, and he's got, like, black blood coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and he's got a half-eaten fish in one hand. I wish that's what we were watching. That's two movies we could have watched. We were Tim tonight. Allen as Mrs. Doubtfire or Danny DeVito as the Penguin as Mrs. Doubtfire. Which, which would make the kidnapping children scene make sense. So he has a um, court-appointed liaison who is going to oversee his case to make sure that he gets a job and gets an apartment so that in 90 days she can report to the judge that he has a stable life. I don't know what California family law is like, but I have never heard of this. I do not know what this is. This is like he he, he has like a... Uh, the parole officer. Yeah. It's like he has a parole officer or something. Like, I've never heard of this. No, no, no. This judge cares about him. 
and wants him to be with his kids. So he's like, you know what? You're an idiot. I'm going to have someone that's going to babysit you through every single step of this. So she helps him find a job. But she's a villain. Yeah, she's portrayed as a villain. Yeah, she's also because every every woman in this film is a villain. <laughs> Except for the ones that are played by men. She's going to try to help him find a job, and she says, do you have any skills? And he says, I do voices. Yeah. Okay, Robbie, tell me about this scene. It's just Robin Williams' demo reel of him just doing different voices for, like, two minutes and, like, <laughs> smash-cutting between each voice. That's the thing. I didn't under... It's the only fucking scene in the movie that does that. It cuts between every single voice. It's smash-cutting. At the very end, she's like, do you have any other skills or some bullshit? But it's like, how long was he sitting there? doing this i think he sat there for like a good five minutes like five minutes in real time right doing voices for this woman that are all terrible yes he says oh i do voices and then he says all these voices and at the end of it i was like oh you don't do voices (laughs) one of the voices is just him screaming i like robin williams (laughs) Like he's very funny in a lot of things. He's not funny in this. No, he's not at all. But you watch Aladdin and you're like, oh, he can do impressions. I don't know if he can watching this. Here's the thing with this movie. And I don't know if we need to point out every like single tiny one. Some of the riffing he does is really fucking racist. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Never mind the homophobia and transphobia and everything else that's layered on this film. It was all these little things. I uh, ugh, like you kept that in A, you said that B, you kept it in the film. The 90s were weird, man. I think Robin Williams did a lot of that stuff. He was a comedian in the 80s. You know, it feels very 80s humor. And a like, lot of racial stuff. It's Robin Williams. Like, you're just like, I, I don't, he's not doing this to be bad or be offensive. But, like, I don't know if the, the, the musical montage where he's dressing up as a woman, he puts on this, like, Cuban accent and talks about this man he's been seeing. And his response to their sex life is he says, it's the Bay of Pigs every night with him. And my wife was just like, whoa, fuck me. Robin Williams, it's not coming from a place of hate. I think it's just coming from a place of cocaine. <laughs> a lot of these jokes don't even make sense. He's just saying shit that pops into his head. And it's just a lot of it is very offensive and racial and it's weird. Yeah. Then she goes, okay, so you suck. So I have to find something that your cocaine fueled mind can handle. And um, she gets him a job at a TV station where he's going to be packing film reels. He's shipping or receiving. He's a logistics clerk. What I don't understand is that he goes into this place and he doesn't understand the job that he's going to have. He assumes he's going to be an actor here. Yes. And at that point I was like, Robin Williams, have you ever had an act? How did you get that acting gig at the beginning? Do you, do you have an agent? Do you not have an agent? Do you not know how people get acting jobs? Did you think unemployment offices cast people? Like <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. That's just so funny thinking that, like, you're uh, one of those uh, job find places and they, they're like, oh, yeah, we got some temp workers. So you go to temp working agency. Uh, yeah, you know, you got to go to the construction site because you had construction experience. But they're just like, uh, this guy, uh, yeah, acting gig. We'll put this construction worker in this <laughs> to be acting. And that man was Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Little known fact, that's how he got his start. Tying it all in. Also coming from a place of cocaine. I was about to say, (laughs) also cocaine. All right, so he's got his stupid (laughs) shitty job. He gets an amazing apartment considering he's got to be making like minimum wage. That's the fucking thing. Oh my God. Can we talk about his apartment? You have an apartment in San Francisco. Even my wife had said she's like, that thing's probably like $5,000 a month now. At least. I mean, I think the movie is implying it's in a bad neighborhood. Like not a really bad neighborhood, but a slightly worse neighborhood than where he used to live, but it's still a fucking gorgeous apartment, and it's huge. It's like the biggest one bedroom I've ever seen. It only looks like shit because he just throws everything on the floor and trips it upside down. He's like, there, I'm unpacked. Fuck you, Sally Field. <laughs> that apartment 
has a fireplace, crown molding, <laughs> corbels. There's framed artwork on the walls. Is it like two entrances to the kitchen? There's two doors to his kitchen. Like a full yeah. kitchen. And she walks in there. Sally Fields is like, oh, look at this dump. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, are you kidding me? He, how long has he been living there? Like, he just moved the in. The period in which he's supposed to get, like, get his shit together is three months. So... All of this has to be happening pretty quickly. Right. This this movie takes place over two. The amount of time it takes to get an apartment, settle into a job. The whole, like, Mrs. Doubtfire thing has to be like, he's only three weeks away from getting joint custody anyway. <laughs> and then Sally Fields shows up to pick up the kids, and she's an hour early. And then she walks into the apartment without knocking. Everyone in this movie sucks. I mean, Sally Field obviously is nowhere near as awful as Robin Williams, but like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, what is she yeah. doing? <laughs> she's, she's written this because so she can be the villain. Like, yep. Yeah, I guess. Like, they just have to throw like shitty things in there to remind people that she's supposed to be bad, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, but she's not. That's the thing is, as we keep saying, she's not. And she has these moments later on where she's like, you know, later when they're talking about the divorce, she's like, I just didn't like who I was around him and who he made me become. And my life is better without him. Yeah, because yeah. he's awful. Understandable. And he's upset because she's an hour early and she says, I don't have time for this. I have shit to do. I have to go to the bank and then I have to drop something off at the newspaper office. It's the middle of the fucking night. Like, what is happening in this movie? That's what my wife said. She was like, what bank is open right now? There's yep. no banks open. It's, and it's it's the 90s, too. Like, you had to go to the teller and take out money. Yeah, 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 yeah. The newspaper office is don't, isn't open. Nope. This is not business hours. What is happening and in this movie? And it's a Saturday to begin with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I forgot about that. I'm really glad that we've been recording for an hour and ten minutes, and it's been hilarious. And we're at this point because I don't want to focus on too much going forward. Can we just skim over the rest of the movie? Because it's so well, bad. we can skim over some of it, but he hasn't been Mrs. Doubtfired yet. Yeah. So he finds out that she needs to hire a housekeeper. And so he immediately plans to, I guess, impersonate this housekeeper because he sabotages her newspaper ad to change the phone number. And then he starts calling her, impersonating bad options for housekeepers, most of which are just extremely racially offensive. Yes. Racially, and there's, there's some pep transphobia peppered in there, too. Unnecessary, just out of nowhere. And then, okay, I got, I got to ask though. So after he, he does like six or seven racially insensitive and transphobic things, he finally calls her and he's like, now to seal the deal. And so he calls her as like the good version, which is Mrs. Doubtfire. And so he has this entire character prepared. He's got a voice. He has like, <laughs> I know what you're different say. language. <laughs> and then she's like, what's your name? And he goes, uh, like he didn't prepare a name. Like he, <laughs> nope. he prepared an entire bio of this woman. <laughs> Because he knew yeah. the name of the of the people that she used to work with. Right. The Smythe family, not the Smith family, didn't prepare her name. Nope. Nope. Uh, but then he gets an interview. And then he goes to his brother and says, can you make me a woman? After he gets the interview. He said, I'm going in for the kill. And did he just come up with it on the spot? <laughs> I think like, he that's did. That's the only explanation. None of it makes any sense. Because he no. goes to his brother. He's like, make me a woman. I've already committed to this massively insane scheme and i've i've just right? assumed that you're going to be involved in it his brother then tries to come up with makeup and prosthetics that will make him look like a woman so that he's unrecognizable and can pretend to be this mrs doubtfire here's the thing that doesn't make sense they do a montage of them creating new characters he already committed yeah, 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 yeah. to mrs doubtfire yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what was gonna happen if he shows up as this cuban woman <laughs> 
And that's the thing, too, is like he doesn't start the conversation with, oh, yeah, by the way, she's an elderly British woman. He just wants to see what they can do. During this whole segment, this is what, Rob, you were talking about before. Yeah. This is where they start singing to camera points, and it's really tonally wacky. I think it's because he, they dress him up like Barbara Streisand. They do. Mm-hmm. And then he does uh, Funny Girl. He starts singing to the yeah. camera, and it's a recreation of Funny Girl. But then they also really offensively put on a nose prosthetic and dress him up as an old Jewish woman. Which yeah. is incredibly anti-Semitic. And then they all turn to the camera and sing Fiddler on the Roof. Yep. Which was a moment I liked if it wasn't so offensive. <laughs> he also sits in that makeup chair for a good 16 hours. <laughs> yes. Based on the amount of work and the plaster cast. I've had less makeup done than that, and that still takes at least an hour. Like, were you, like, your interview's tomorrow. Like, you were in the chair for, like, two days, man. Let's think of this timeline, then. She drops the article off on a Saturday at, like... 8 o'clock at night, prints it with the wrong phone number in the Sunday edition of the paper. Doesn't notice. He terrorizes her by calling a million times and then gets an interview as Mrs. Doubtfire, I guess, Sunday night? And then doesn't go to work Monday, <laughs> spends all day in the prosthetics, and then shows up for the interview Monday Yeah, this is like morning. his second week of work, and he already had to call in sick. I don't understand his hours at this film studio. I don't know if he works, like, part-time, or if his, like, shift is supposed to be in the morning. This and then... movie takes place in a universe where banks are open on Saturday nights. Yeah. So, like... Who the fuck knows what's going on? That's true. In, in the universe where banks are open Saturdays and people can own mobile petting zoos. <laughs> <laughs> Illegal mobile petting Yes, yeah, because his hours are four, no, three to seven as Mrs. Doubtfire. So he must get off work at like six o'clock in the morning because he needs the like six hours it takes to apply all that makeup to himself to get to his second job of gaslighting his family. Keep in mind, he's doing this all himself. Repeatedly. With prosthetics, that would only be good for one application. They make him into Mrs. Doubtfire, and then he shows up at the house. Everyone in the movie refers to the Mrs. Doubtfire character as English. But, like, she's Scottish, right? Yeah. She's kind of Welsh. Yeah. It gets addressed. Is that a Welsh accent? I don't know if that's Welsh. It's all over the place, which gets, it's a little bit of everything, and that does get addressed in the movie. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan, they hang a lantern on it because he's like, oh, your accent's a bit muddled. But, like, I would not say English if I heard it. Like, it seems much more, I guess it could be, like, Northern England. It's a little bit of everything, as you say. Like, there's some things are British, but as you say, there's a lot of Scottish. Like, his bio for this woman is that she's from London. That's he, he tells someone later that she's his older sister because their father met a woman in London in the war. And so she's from London. I guess presumably she could have moved around, but this bio makes no sense. None like, of it makes any sense. For Sean. someone who A does voices, none and of it. B is going to commit to playing someone from the British Isles. He seems to have no idea how accents in the British Isles work. Because, like, he's like, oh, she's from London. But then he's doing this weird, wacky, half Welsh, half Scottish, half... He doesn't understand how voice acting works. He got on with the one voice <laughs> company that convinces him you have to do it all in one take after the cartoon's been made. <laughs> Which is his only gig, because he doesn't have an agent. And he thinks temp offices get you acting jobs. And that's the acting jobs you'll get from the temp agency. <laughs> Uh, can we talk about Pierce Brosnan now? Because we haven't mentioned him at all in this film. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess just introducing the character, this is an old flame 
of Sally Fields from college. And so they start this relationship. Oh, mommy gets an upgrade for sure. Like she, uh-huh. no offense to Rob Williams, but like Pierce Brosnan is fucking James Bond. He's rich James Bond. He's rich James Bond. But the thing is, as you say, he's a really good guy. And he genuinely cares about her. And then later on in the film. And the kids. He, he loves the kids. He says, look, people change. He says, she's got three kids. He's like, and they're amazing. I'm crazy about them. I love her youngest. Like Mrs. Doubtfire's awful to him. And he still invites her everywhere because he knows how much it means to the family. And then Robin Williams' solution to this is to kill him. Kill him. And ruin his ex-wife's birthday. It's such kill a him. weird I, I movie. Love that, kill I love him. that the two deciding factors in this movie happen on members of the family's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is what Robin Williams does. He just ruins his family's birthdays. Did uh, My question about Piers Brosnan was... Did he get James Bond from this film? I know he was in that, uh, he was in that spy show, whatever it was called. Remington Steel. Remington Steel. But like. Not spy, it's detective, but. Sure, but whatever. But like, you're looking at this, I'm like, man, that's a handsome British man. He's charming, like he's suave. I will say one thing. He is an idiot, right? He's rich. Why? Because he doesn't realize it's Robin Williams like everyone else? No, no, like, no, no, no. It's because he orders jambalaya and says, no pepper, I'm allergic. Don't order yeah, jambalaya, yeah, yeah. you <laughs> moron, if it could kill you. Yeah. What are yeah, you Yeah, it's doing? like, oh, good, like, you're allergic to pepper and anything spicy, so what do you do? Order Cajun cuisine, like Cajun dinner. You idiot! I know it's just a movie thing, but I'm like, oh, this character was supposed to be an idiot the whole time? That scene almost has, also has our favorite 90s trope of, like, I'll just put in a jacket and walk into this kitchen. Nobody will question me not working here. Mrs. Doubtfire gets hired. Uh, one thing, uh, one of my favorite things in films, some more bad cop acting, uh, we get uh, Mrs. Doubtfire make making some tea in about 45 seconds. Dude, like, cup acting is like, unless you actually have liquid in the cup, which they're never going to do because they know actors are going to do it, like, cup acting is, like, fucking ridiculous. I love watching it, though, man. It just, it just is so good every time I see it in the film. When Mrs. Doubtfire shows up to the interview, the kids are watching an episode of The Outer Limits from the 1960s. Was it The 100 Days of the Dragon is the episode they're watching. Which is itself kind of a weird choice, but whatever, okay. Kids are watching an old 1960s black and white horror the next time they're watching tv they're watching the dick van dyke show uh-huh why is everything these kids watch old 1960s black and white television and, and they also say we always watch dick van dyke no you don't <laughs> no one does well the only other thing on is apparently that boring dinosaur yeah. show uh, okay so, yeah, yeah yeah all right all right <laughs> like in, 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 in this version of the 90s like in this reality it's just the black and white station in san francisco and the station yeah. where they just have a random guy play with dinosaur toys. Or, or cartoons that are aired live. <laughs> you have to listen to Robin Williams argue with his director. <laughs> so it's like, all right, you know, yeah, we're outer limits again. Yeah, let's pick that. What a weird dystopian future this movie takes place in. <laughs> One thing I don't understand is why he even wants the job. It doesn't really fit with the movie or anything the character has said. He's like, I can't be away from my children. To the extent that he has a good relationship with his kids, I'm not sure that I would describe it a good relationship, but to the extent that there's positive elements of that relationship, it's because he's fun-loving, he's like a kid at heart, mm-hmm. he like has fun with the kids, you know? That's why they like him and that's the relationship that he has with he them. does love his children as mrs doubtfire he sends them to their room and does chores all day <laughs> like why does he even want this job he doesn't even hang out with them We're, right wait 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 he yeah sends them upstairs and then he sweeps and then he goes home so he never sees them while he cleans up the house <laughs> 
That's what I'm saying. That's, that's all that happens every time we see them, except for when they're on like an outing. They go on a couple outings. They like, I guess, but he doesn't even hang out with them. He like sits at the bar getting drunk. <laughs> like, yeah. He doesn't spend time with the kids. The whole premise is he's like, I can't be away from my kids. But then all we see him do is he just like pretends to play air guitar on his broom while the kids are doing homework. I know that that scene's in there as like a risky business knockoff or to show that it's the 90s and he's rocking out. And I was just like, you obviously don't know how to take care of yourself because you're sweeping a rug that you vacuumed. <laughs> this, this, this is why you're, where you're in the situation you're at, Robin Williams. The other thing is that this guy has never helped out. He has never done chores. Yes. He is a tornado of destruction who Sally Field would not have divorced him if he was in the least bit a good partner and father and husband. Or had done any of this. Not as Mrs. Doubtfire. But this is what I'm saying. Like, he totally changes his personality. He does all the things that he apparently didn't want to do because he was such a fun-loving person. And he's desperate to do it. And to my mind, the only explanation is that he will only do nice things if he's secretly, like, psychologically abusing them. (laughs) In a different version of this movie, he learns the value of, like, oh... You know, if I had learned to do all of this in the first place, maybe I could have been a better partner or a better father. There's a hint of that. He cleans up There's his own place. Hint. He learns to cook. It's a hint. It is like a sliver. It's it's a but... sprinkling, a, a, a little little sprinkling of salt. Yeah, the problem is, is that he's too good as Mrs. Doubtfire at the beginning. Because, like, when he comes in, the way he talks, the way he acts, the way he gets the kids to do the homework, and it's just like he could have been doing this all along. He just chose not to until it was part of a massive fraud. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which is the thing is like there could, could have been a movie where he learns, oh shit, this is what I should have been doing the whole time. Learning his lessons as this other person. But that, that- He doesn't learn his lessons. He doesn't learn anything. On his daily bus ride back to his apartment, the bus driver is lecherous to him because he is a woman, right? And the bus driver is hitting on him. Right? And then you're like, oh, his first day as Mrs. Doubtfire, and he's getting a what it feels like to be a, a, a woman, yeah. right? And then he goes to the pool and immediately is lecherous to a woman. Yeah, I know. Like, immediately. At the pool, that is the scene that I would say undoes the relationship of Jack and his partner being portrayed positively because the concept of an older woman buying a younger woman a drink and the hint at this lesbian romance is played off as a disgusting joke. There's yeah. a lot of just inappropriate stuff that happens for a while while he's pretending to be Mrs. Doubtfire and also whatever. It doesn't matter. The kids find out in a really terrible scene. Fuck. Yeah. And it's like, I, I remembered that. And that was something when I suggested it like the other week, I thought, I'm really curious to see remembering that how this film ages. Uh, the answer is exceptionally poorly. Exceptionally poorly. I don't want to repeat the language they use uh, in describing how they discover that it's their father, but their children's instant reaction is, we have to phone the police. Yep. So Matthew Lawrence walks in on Mrs. Doubtfire in the bathroom. First of all, what is with this family? Sally Field walks into his house, never knocks. Matthew Lawrence walks in. You can hear someone's in the bathroom. Mrs. Doubtfire's in the bathroom. He just opens the door. Like, this family has no boundaries, does not understand what a closed door means. Because their father was Robin Williams. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, who had no boundaries. But sees Mrs. Doubtfire peeing, standing up, and then freaks out because Mrs. Doubtfire has a penis. And then has a very uncomfortable scene where they say some terrible things about what that means until his solution is just to say, oh, actually, I'm your father and I have been psychologically traumatizing you. 
Yes, for at least a few weeks. I realized that getting divorced on your birthday wasn't enough. (laughs) I really have to hammer home that you will never have a normal life. I want to make sure you spend a fortune on therapists for the rest of your lives. Yeah, that's how I'm going to stick it to your mom. I want to posit a a change to this scene where uh, Matthew Lawrence still refuses to hug his dad, but it's because he's so betrayed by him lying to him for that amount of time. Matthew Lawrence is really kind of shocked by this reveal, which is shocking. As he fucking should be. As he should be. And then his sister hugs Mrs. Doubtfire, and then he says, no, I don't want to hug you yet. I just just need some time to think about this. And at first, watching it, I was like, it's because he just got... Like, gaslit. Gaslit for weeks, and um, his father is awful, and he doesn't know how to deal with the shock of this. That's correct. But then they're just like, oh, no, yeah, it's a guy thing. And he's like, yeah, it's a guy thing. And it's like, oh, no, wait, it's a homophobia, yeah. transphobia joke. <laughs> that would have been the appropriate reaction of being like, oh, I don't know how to react to my father because he's betrayed me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for lying to me this long. Okay, so I think we're in the home stretch here because basically what happens now is that- To, to hammer home- the transphobia that goes on in this movie. The rest of the soundtrack is Aerosmith, Dude Looks Like a Lady, or the song Walk Like a Man, Talk Like a Man. Chatting with the drummer in my band. He said, oh, what film are you guys doing next? And I mentioned this film and some of the issues we had going in, I was had going into it and all these things. And he was like, yeah, you just kind of get older and you realize there's this like odd conservative viewpoint that came through in a lot of movies where the whole gag is that it's a straight man dressing as a woman and like forcing him to be in drag it's like a genre of things it's some like it hot it's bosom buddies it's tootsie weirdest thing is that like some like it hot is from 1959 it is not nearly as offensive as this movie yeah this movie is way way more offensive it's shockingly offensive for making 400 million dollars worldwide at his real job where he's working at the tv station and for some reason is moving the film reels through a hot set that is recording live. (laughs) He is just pushing a dolly of film reels, not to the shipping dock, where I assume he works, where all the film reels are stored. What's really fucking funny is, uh, was there an actual door on that set? No, it's open. He just walks in. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there was no, there's no door. There's a reason the show has no ratings, because they don't have security. People can just walk onto the set as they're recording, and nobody stops you. From what I gathered of, like, the ge- uh, geography of that building, it was like, oh, the all the film reels are immediately adjacent to that set, and there's no door. So all day, he's just clanging around, <laughs> around lifting those boxes up. Just like you imagine in the bathroom being like, fuck my fucking ex-wife, take him away from my fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then the kids watching are going to be like, is that the same guy from the cartoon? <laughs> I know that voice. <laughs> That's that smoking bird. <laughs> That's that smoking bird. That's the other thing, too. He gets a lead show in this and doesn't do his homework to be like, you're the smoking bird guy. <laughs> he gives him a job. You're the smoking bird guy. <laughs> Robin Williams complains about the show to the head of the network. <laughs> Robin Williams complains about the show. <laughs> smoking bird <laughs> All right, so Robin Williams is like, this kid's dinosaur show is really bad. It ends up that the guy he's complaining to is the head of the network. Cut to later on. It's not the next scene, but I'm just going to say it now. It's like later that day, he walks back into the set, and he goes up to the toys and then just starts fucking playing with them. Like, what is wrong with this man? Like, nothing against playing with toys. This is a very weird thing for a grown man to start doing. 
Yes. That is a hot set. Those toys have been set there the next morning so they can record the dinosaur show again, and he just picks them up and plays with them. Right. I don't understand why this film studio is like, well, our storage room is on this side of the building, and the shipping dock is on the opposite end, and you have to walk through (laughs) the set every time they're filming in order to do your deliveries and pickups. Here's the loudest dolly we have. Go. But then he just starts riffing, and he starts... It's not even good riffing. This is terrible riffing. It's terrible riffing. (laughs) It's, like, horrible. It's not funny at all. But the head of the network watches him, and he's like, you're a genius. You're a comic genius. Don't take his word for it. He's been he's been making that stupid other dinosaur show for 25 years. <laughs> That's mostly just the sound of dollies coming in and out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's really bad at creating entertainment. <laughs> anyway, he's like, I want to hear your pitch for the show. So, like, let's have dinner. This is also the same trope that is Stanley Spadowski and UHF being the janitor that gets his own hit TV show. That show's awesome. That show's awesome. And you see why Stanley Spadelsky gets the show. And this one, it's like, what's going to save your network? Like, oh, it gave the shipping clerk his own show. <laughs> because I saw him saying nonsense bullshit for about five seconds. After he told me I was a fucking idiot for keeping this guy in the air for 25 years. Okay, so then he goes to his other job as Mrs. Doubtfire. And Sally Field invites him to come out with them because of Sally Field's birthday. This whole thing, Sally Field is going out pierce brosnan is taking them out she's like trying on dresses and robin williams starts gaslighting her in front of the kids where he starts saying that she looks like a hussy and a harlot and that you can't dress that provocatively and at this point the kids know it's their dad like everything about this is like this man should never be allowed near any of them ever again yeah he's an evil person sally field should never forgive him ever before this scene uh because it's sally field's birthday and uh she really wants Mrs. Doubtfire to be at her birthday, right? And she initially, he, sorry, and he initially says, no, 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 I can't go. And Sally Field says, no, no, you have to come. And, she, and yeah. so then he's like, okay, I guess I will. And it's like, no, no, Don't. no. You have another dinner date. Yep. Already established at the same restaurant. He's just like, I'm gonna just going to do both, which I know is the standard sitcom trope. But like, you don't need to do this. Just don't go to the birthday party. Yeah. So time out as well, because in the scene before, Sally Field goes and picks up the kids at Robin Williams' house, and she sees, oh, this guy cooks and cleans and is being responsible. And he says, hey, can I watch after the kids? I know what I'm doing now. And Sally Field says, no, I can't get, I can't get rid of Mrs. Doubtfire. You know what, Robin Williams? Show up the next day as Mrs. Doubtfire and quit. <laughs> you quit. right then and there and then the next day or even that day she calls up robin williams and says hey i need someone to look after the kids and the rest of the movie is done it it makes no sense why he does this and goes to the birthday party as mrs doubtfire none just because they had to. they need to have more fighting and make sally field look even worse before that can happen so this is a very long painfully awful standard sitcom trope where these people go out for dinner and they all each progressively wait three hours for their dinner guest to return he's like ruining everybody's yeah. nights and then he tries to murder pierce brosnan so we got to talk about that murder he, uh, murder murder like, murder because pierce brosnan is allergic to pepper and he puts pepper in his food, and then Pierce Brosnan starts choking. He is an, a wonderful and amazing person, and you assume will love these children as if they were her own, his own, and will be a loving, wonderful father, but he's too stupid <laughs> to not order 
the Cajun dish that is all spicy peppers and spicy sausage and pepper added for seasoning. The end of this scene is almost Robin Williams murders Pierce Brosnan in front of the family that tears off his own face. Ha ha! It was me all along! The the real question is, how was Robin Williams able to reapply his makeup so many times after drinking three scotches in five minutes? (laughs) He has three sheets to the wind. Doubles. Three doubles. That's six. And it kind of plays up like, oh, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit tipsy. And it's like, no, dude, like you're, you're gone. Like you're done. And you haven't eaten anything because your meals haven't arrived. (laughs) Because they're waiting for you to do your makeup in the bathroom. On the resume, (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire explicitly states, I have first aid and I can do the Heimlich maneuver if need be. The client where he almost murders him performs what is now known as the J thrust because the Heimlich family no longer wishes for it to be called the Heimlich maneuver. They own the rights to it performs a J-thrust in order to dislodge the food of the man he almost murdered. So it does set up that he can do it earlier in the movie. So, like, that's the only part of the resume that he didn't lie on? He lied about everything in the resume. They don't have a single shot of him doing first aid, though. They have shots of him learning how to cook and clean. But apparently he just knew how to do the Heimlich? I do not believe that. I don't know if he actually does, because he's picking him up and, like, throwing him around. And if anything, he's doing more damage. He's just, like, really trying to make sure. It's like, oh, no, I I almost killed the bastard. I better finish the job. Like, Robbie, I'm going to break all his ribs. <laughs> uh, by the way, did you guys see who the uh, maitre d' was? No. It is our friend from Willow and some flapjacks. Oh, the other guy from Groundhog Day. Yeah, the other guy from Gra- Rick Overton. Rick Overton is the maitre d'. Rick Overton is the maitre d'. Fuck. Yeah, man, it's like we can't get any movies that don't have somebody from Groundhog Day in them. (laughs) That's basically the end of the movie. No, it's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we got to say this. He shows up accidentally in makeup as Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) Because he's had six scotches. And he goes to his bus and he says, this is my idea for the kids show. And the guy goes, what do you mean by that? (laughs) And he says, yeah, an old British woman. And that's all he has. That's all he has. He just (laughs) says, an old British woman. And the boss goes, I like it. Good. Let's put that on the air. The boss is also drunk, so... Drank six or seven scotches by this point. (laughs) He's like, yeah, good. Green light it. (laughs) Here's the thing. And then you get another 90s trope. Acts as his own lawyer in the second part of the custody hearing. And he gives this speech about, like, look, I'm just crazy about my kids. That's why I did everything I did. I, like, I'm I'm pleading insanity because I'm hopelessly in love with my children and I go crazy without them. I need to be, the, I need to be near them. Sally Field can't do this to me. And the judge is like, dude, you are full of shit. Yes. You are absolutely and full of shit. he's being nice. You are so he full of shit. nice. That not only do you know, no longer not get to see your children, you get supervised visits. Because yeah. that is how unstable you are. He should be in prison. Not only did you lie about everything you did and lead a double life, you almost killed the, her soon-to-be husband. You will note, Pierce Brosnan is not in the rest of the movie. He does not marry Sally Field. <laughs> because her ex-husband is a psychopath. She And then she walks onto the set as they're filming, and he's like, number one in all of the regions. And you're like... Why? Why? Tell me one thing about this show that is is appealing to kids. Nothing. There's a monkey in it? There, yeah, there, there's a really bad okay. monkey. So then make the show about the monkey. In the next episode is just about the monkey. And the boss is like, I don't know what I was thinking. What? <laughs> I was drunk when I said that this is yeah. Doubtfire. Yeah. yeah, like he sobered up and was like, I gave a TV show to a man who gaslit his family and attempted to <laughs> murder his replacement husband. <laughs> 
and I thought this was a good idea. How many scotches did I have? No, never mind. Give the show to the monkey. Can't we just get an old British woman? <laughs> so many prosthetics involved in this show for no reason. They have this stupid argument on set where they start fighting again. You're supposed to feel bad for Robin Williams, but it's like, dude, no, Sally Field was in the right. It's you were a bad partner. You were a bad father. You were a bad parent. And she's made out to be the villain simply because she's a woman who's trying to balance a career and her family life. And, and she says, I didn't like the person he made me be, and I'm better off without him. And you see that she is much happier. She's a much Absolutely. better person because she's not always made to be the villain because that's what he did. He did all these yeah. awful things. And then when it came some time to blame someone, he blamed her for being like, why are you ruining this fun time? He says to her in this scene, like when they're starting to fight, he says, Jesus, Miranda, you took my kids away. No, nobody. No. no, you gave them away. You, you gave this judge everything he needed and he tried to help you and you still couldn't help yourself. You are the architect of your own destruction, Robin Williams. He would have had joint custody. Like he was fine. He had an apartment and a job. Shipping, receiving, a great apartment. He also probably would have been able to pitch him hosting this show without the whole Mrs. Doubtfire thing because the boss seemed to be on board regardless. Yeah. He would have been fine. Yeah. If this whole Mrs. Doubtfire thing didn't happen, and he fine. doesn't seem to have learned anything from it. No. Learn nothing. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the Aladdin effect where you lie to absolutely everybody you know and you still get everything you want in the end and everything's okay. Is that the end of the movie? No. The end. No. Yes. He gets, he gets, he's he going to be the, the one back. that's like taking care of his kids because Sally Field is a lapse in judgment and is like, yeah, fine. You are an awful, awful man who did <laughs> awful things to me, but you traumatized me after murdering my soon to be fiance. So if this will stop you from killing anyone around me, I'll let you see the fucking children. <laughs> <laughs> it's an altruistic move for her. <laughs> That's what Sally His reign of doing. terror must end. But like, yeah. this movie gives a speech at the end, which is trying to be really poignant in 90s about how sometimes parents get back together, sometimes they don't, sometimes there are different kinds of families. And as I said, this movie openly omits any mention of there possibly being a same-sex couple that could have children. It is 1993. I will say that that doesn't surprise me. It, it That's doesn't. not something that I would have expected to hear in a 1993 film. And I only point this out because, like, there is so much in this film that shocked the hell out of me that I was yeah. like, how the fuck is this in a 1993 film? Like, it's so offensive at times. I know, but it's like this thing is like, that's just kind of part of it. Is this film is so all over the fucking map. Like, it is exceptionally transphobic. Exceptionally. every fiber of its being. But it walks this weird act of, as you say, like Harvey Firestein and his partner are portrayed very positively. They're not the butt of a joke. They are part of the joke. Do you think, like, they were just like, well, we... Have you guys read this script? Uh, it's horrible. Let's no, do something. No, I don't think they thought it was okay. horrible. No, I, I don't think... I agree with Sean completely. Completely. I'm shocked that the gay couple was portrayed so positively. Yeah. Like, it seems genuinely progressive. Like, even if the rest of the movie wasn't offensive, I'd be like, oh, that's really nice to see in a 1993 film like that. It just is even more bizarre that it stands out against this awful backdrop of hate. The film is very homophobic later on as well. So it's this weird all over the map. And but as you say, we could just like... The podcast were a tennis shoe semicolon. God, the 90s were fucked up. They, oh, my <laughs> like, God. Like, I think that gets overlooked a lot with this movie, because this is a childhood favorite for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. You said it made $400 million. Can you rate it? What's what's your what's your ranking? Um. Okay, where did I put it? Oh, shit. Uh, after talking it out, I need to put it down lower. <laughs> <laughs> I had it at 34, but that was being too generous. I'm going to put it... Uh, I'm going to put it around cocktail. Blank check at 38, cocktail at 39, Mrs. Doubtfire at 40. How far is that from the bottom? I have 47. Okay. 
Uh, 46. Sorry. 46. Bob? So I am having a really hard time. And it's not anything to do with rose-tinted glasses or anything along those lines. It's, yeah, I loved this movie when I was a kid. Saw it again when I was a little older. Thought it was funnier. Watching it at this age... Can't recommend this film no. to anybody. I would say if this is a film that you remember from your childhood and you loved it, yeah, keep it there. Yeah, don't revisit it. Don't don't ruin your childhood. And I'm not saying this ruined my childhood by any means, but like this movie is fucked up and it's a problem. And I'm really having a hard time wondering if it qualifies as a movie. I think it does. Unlike the Even Stevens movie. <laughs> so I'm almost thinking of putting it at what would then become number thirty nine. Which would be just one above the Even Stevens movie, like six from the bottom. Okay. So you are just above the Even Stevens movie. It's interesting you say that, Bob, because I also have it adjacent to the Even Stevens movie. On the other side, I am putting it below <laughs> the Even Stevens movie. <laughs> which was a movie in name only. Which puts it one above Unidentified Flying Oddball. That's offensive. Uh, which is the set of films that are painful to get through. So that's 42 for me. And that's six from the bottom. It's all roughly the same space. It's yeah. pretty close. I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying anything bad about Robin Williams. The man was a light in this world that brought a lot of joy to a lot of different people over different years. So I love Robin Williams, but like this film, it's not his fault. Well, he was a producer and star and ad-libbed everything he said. So I think it is kind of his fault. But I also love Robin Williams. <laughs> like, none of what he's saying is funny. And I don't even think it was funny at the time. I don't think if people yeah. watched his dialogues, like if they actually listened to his words, they wouldn't have been like, that was a good Robin Williams performance. It's not like funny at all. <laughs> the reason, like, it's just got to be the makeup. Like, it's got to be the entire premise. That's why this film made so much money. I want to stress here that although I find this movie offensive and toxic and extremely unpleasant in its moral outlook on the world, it would not be a good movie even if none of those things yeah, existed. Yeah, exactly. It would still be no. a bad movie. It's not funny. It's long. And it structurally makes no it's sense. so yeah. long. <laughs> It's, it's so fucking long. So it's bad and offensive. Like, it's, I do not like this film. I genuinely hated it. I have one question now. Yeah. What were we all thinking in the 90s? Why was there so much plaid? And why was the style just like, I'm going to throw on three shirts and a jacket and they're all going to be seven sizes too big? Like, what? Because we were coming out of the reign of hair metal and tight okay. pants and teased hair. Okay. And suddenly grunge took the world by storm, which was really down to earth stuff you could just buy at your local department store. And it was, instead of wearing tight fitting clothes, you wore something bigger or two sizes too big. So you could fit a hoodie or something underneath it. I mean, to be fair, I wore Batman sweatpants. Today? Yeah, today as well. But I'm just saying, like... I wasn't wearing too much yeah, plaid no. when I was, like, fucking six years old, so. Yeah, when we, when we were six years old, we were wearing Batman sweatpants, like, in public. Not, like, <laughs> yeah. right now, where it's like, ah, just going to bed in my Batman sweats. <laughs> no, I just was, like, looking at it, and I was like, oh, I recognize this. This style, it's comfortable, you know? And then I was just like, wait a second, this is so weird. Like, what were people thinking? What the fuck do you mean, what were people thinking? Do you look at kids now? They just dress like it's the 90s. This is just, like, looking out the window right now. So, Sean, what's next? You get to pick, right? Yes! What's coming up next for next week? It is my Normally, pick. it would be me. No, it's not Robbie's pick. We banned him for six weeks because he made us watch three terrible films. I've had feedback from <laughs> listeners stating that we were justified to do so. <laughs> you had feedback from listeners about that it's justified? Let us know your thoughts, listener. If you think 
Rob should be banned for more than six weeks, please write in. Hey, now. Uh, we might no, put no, out no, a poll no, no, and no, we'll no, see no, if no. Rob ever gets a chance to pick another film. But it's not now at any rate. Coming up next week is one of two episodes. It is either going to be a very special episode <laughs> on High School Musical. It's coming. It's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. It's probably not that, though. Instead, it's probably going to be Escape to Witch Mountain. Oh, nice. That, that's a good the one. The Rock version? No, the original one. <laughs> the original? I think the rock nice. version is called Race to Witch Mountain. Race to Witch Mountain. But Escape to Witch Mountain is the first one, and then the second one is Return to Witch Mountain, and then there's this sort of remake with the rock in it. It's kind of um, like a remake reimagining. Like, it's like... Yeah, I don't think it has the same plot, so it's just kind of different. But at any rate, um, I want to do the first one, the original Perfect. one. Perfect, yeah. I've, that, nice. That's been on my radar for a while, so I'm glad you picked it. I think we got to wrap up this episode, unless I'm forgetting anything. Uh, we got to do... Uh, got to say the show. Tune in next week to the podcast. Yeah. All right. More tennis shoes. Well, I'm just going to ask, uh, Bob, can you do a Mrs. Doubtfire voice? I kind of want to do Danny DeVito as the Penguin and as Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Or or Tim Allen. Either one. <laughs> yeah, either do Danny DeVito as the Penguin, as Mrs. Doubtfire, saying it's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes, or Tim Allen as Mrs. Doubtfire, saying it's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. But he's, it's still, is, it, is Tim Allen still British, or is he just Tim Allen? <laughs> it's just Tim Allen. It's, he's trying to be British. It's Tim Allen trying to be British. Uh, hello. Tune in next week <laughs> to the podcast where tennis shoes fall. <laughs> you know what? No, 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 no. I believe it. I believe it. That is what Tim Allen would do if he'd ever done a British accent in his life. That's his Mrs. Doubtfire voice. 100%. <laughs> oh, fucking no. I love it. I love it. Print, cut the so episode, to, we're done. I need to do a, it's called the podcast where tennis shoes. What's the line that the penguin says? What's the, what, try to think of some good ones. Um, I played this stinking city like a harp from hell. That, ooh, that's one of his lines. Uh, it's called the podcast where tennis shoes. This is the best. This is the best. Called the podcast where tennis shoes. So he's fucking Scooby-Doo. <laughs> called the podcast where tennis shoes. Uh, it's called the podcast for tennis shoes. <laughs> I could do this all night and I'll never get it right. <laughs> this is so fucking stupid. You've got it right every time, Bobby. I don't know what you're saying. These are the best. Okay, so the, in the musical, the penguin would pull his mask off to reveal that he is in fact the penguin and not Mrs. Doubtfire. And they'd be like, you lied to us. And he would say, I played this family like a hop from hell. It's called the podcast for tennis shoes. <laughs> the show if you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time send us an email at the podcast war tennis shoes at gmail.com we can also be reached on facebook and twitter at pod war that's at p-o-d-w-o-r-e and if you like the show give us a good review on your podcast platform it really helps us out we hope you tune in next time thanks